This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The first domino has been tipped. Uh, Will the rest continue to fall? Where does this lead? No one quite knows yet. Uh, But of course, this all started on the weekend where um, I guess it was announced that come Monday, we were going to find out something. And here it is Monday, and Paul Manafort, the former campaign chair and uh, uh, to uh, now President Trump, surrendered to the FBI today as part of the first indictment into the probe of possible Russian meddling into the U.S. elections and uh, everybody's involvement in. He's been charged with 12 counts, including conspiracy, uh, conspiracy against the United States, money laundering, and false statements. Uh, to talk more about all of this, Barry Kay is with us, political science professor, Wilfrid Laurier University. He's here now. Barry, thanks for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this. Hello, Scott. I was kind of wondering when I heard this uh, break over the, the weekend of what exactly was going to happen here. Are you surprised with this? Well, actually, the betting in Washington, I gather, suggested that um, Manafort was the most likely person to be identified. There have been a couple of other lesser-known people that have also um, been either charged or, in one case, um, pled, pled guilty. So there are going to be other names. Manafort was the most likely, um, the way it was seen, because he had been informed earlier on that he was likely to be indicted. But, look, Flynn is coming. I suspect there's going to be a lot more before this is over. And that the, this whole process, we're really just getting started. This whole process is going to go well into 2018, if not to the through at 2018. Uh, supporters are saying none of the charges have any, uh, none of these charges have anything to do with Trump or the whole Russian influence nonsense. What are your well, thoughts on that? Well, they're certainly connected to Russia. Um, the, the, the charges connected to Manafort uh, actually do precede his connection with the Trump campaign. Um, but there's another, what were the, um, the third person, uh, Manafort and his assistant Gates, were the two people initially indicted. There was a third person, though, uh, named Papadopoulos, who, in fact, was an advisor to the campaign, lesser known, but was an advisor to the campaign, uh, who, in fact, is connected to passing on information to Russia, or at least getting information from Russia. He was one of the go-betweens. He lied about it. That's why he's been charged. He's already pled guilty. So, in fact, he's acknowledging there were some improprieties that were involved. The charges with regard to Manafort are pre-campaign. The charges with regard to Papadopoulos are during the campaign, and uh, there's going to be more. Here's what David Weinstein, a former federal prosecutor, had to say. Unfortunately, many clients don't listen to their lawyer's advice. It's always a better idea for people who are perceived to be the ultimate targets of investigation to not make any statements because at some point in time those statements inevitably come back to haunt them. Uh, What are your thoughts about Trump's feelings on all of this, Barry? Well, Trump's suggesting that uh, Hillary Clinton's responsible for everything, mm. like, uh, I, or indeed that it was a, a, you know, a witch hunt in the first place. I, I think those charges are going to become thinner and thinner in terms of the, the way they're perceived as more and more happens. Think that this is just be the beginning. Uh, one shouldn't sort of over-interpret uh, the announcements to the first charges so that I understand why they're getting a lot of attention. Uh, obviously, they're building a foundation here. Uh, at what point is leverage is leverage being used, do you think? Uh, lots of suggestions. I guess that. immediately the assumption is with regard to this uh, person named Papadopoulos that, in fact, um, he's in the middle of what appears to be a plea deal. It has, the, the details of it have been fully announced, but he's been given a very light sentence, and the suggestions, implication certainly seems to be that he's already agreed to testify. Now, he has basically said that, in fact, he was guilty of passing on information between the Russians and the Trump campaign, suggesting that the Russians had dirt on, on, on Trump. The fact that what he's pleading guilty to is the fact that he lied about it when first uh, in, uh, interviewed by the, um, the FBI, or at least with the government authorities. There, look, there, there's going to there's be more to this. Uh, whether or not Trump is personally involved in, um, in colluding with the Russians, only time will tell. I really don't know. What's interesting to me more than anything is how guilty he acts about all of it. Yeah. He's acting like he's, he's concerned about trying to block the administration, block the in- investigation uh, to suggest there's collusion. He wants people to be looking at the uh, trumped-up charges on Hillary Clinton. More than anything, that makes – now, I'm not a particular fan of, of uh, Donald Trump, but more than anything, that suggests to me that he actually may be involved, or certainly the people close to him are going to be involved in this, even though I'm, I have no external uh, evidence beyond his own behavior to suggest that. And clearly he's not listening to his lawyers who would be obviously saying to him, you're only drawing more attention to yourself. He doesn't listen to anyone. No. The <laughs> fact that there's this kind of investigation at all is only because he fired Comey in the first place. Yeah. The Comey investigator, there was an investigation going on with the FBI, but it was much more limited in scope than what this investigation has, uh, is becoming. And if we remember that the 
the charges, the the sex charges about between Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, all started on a about a an investigation based on this this Arkansas land deal, the Whitewater land deal, many years before these open-ended investigations that um, that uh, are, are, is now going on with regard to Mueller. It's much broader than what it would have been in the first place. Trump only has himself to blame for this, and indeed the stupid comments he's made time after time with the media, suggesting that in fact he, had, he he's the person that acknowledged that um, that uh, he fired Comey because he was trying to get rid of the Russian investigation. If he just kept his mouth shut, <laughs> really? um, there would have been less. You know, the, <laughs> many of the people around him are suggesting that it was for other reasons that Comey was being unfair to Hillary Clinton. That was the original claim. Uh, they, 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 these are just examples, but but Trump has screwed this up time and again from beginning to end. As you mentioned, this is in its preliminary stages. Uh, even if it stopped now and there was no, uh, uh, I guess, collusion or evidence of any sort of uh, wrongdoing here, what does it say um, about Trump that he has these people involved in his campaign? I mean, is there any vetting going on here at all, over and above this being just the first domino to fall? Well, it, the, Mueller, the Mueller investigation, it, this is really a, a life-transforming event. Trump is somebody who basically was born with a silver spoon or a golden spoon in his mouth. It's suggested I'm not of that particular financial bracket myself, but I'm told that the first $10 million is the hardest to make, that once you have seed money, hmm. with, with good luck and good judgment, he's certainly done well with his business. But he's never had any kind of external oversight he doesn't have a, a any kind it's a privately held company he doesn't have any uh, any sort of uh, board of uh, uh, executive board overseeing him he can do and has done everything he wants and that he just assumed whatever sleaze bags are necessary to make one successful in new york real estate and i take it that doesn't hurt to have that that kind of background that he just assumed that he would move into washington and that politics would run the same way he's bragged about the fact that life has been easy for him he's always been a winner and that he would continue to win i think he just has that particular perception of life and that indeed he has surrounded himself with people who weren't politically knowledgeable who weren't politically experienced who were in fact people like him um, certainly people like uh, Flynn and people like Manafort, but others too. I think there's going to be lots more of this. I'm not sure that this is necessarily going to lead to Trump's removal from office. Um, the, the whole notion of impeachment is really more of a political matter for presidents than it is a legal matter. Trump will only be removed from office when Republicans decide that he's an embarrassment to them. And at the moment, the, uh, even as unpopular as Trump is in the general population, the Republicans seem to love him. Eighty percent of Republicans are supporting him. And as long as that's true, not many Republicans in Congress are going to vote uh, to, to have him removed from office. Even should the, um, the Democrats take over Congress, at least the House of Representatives, uh, next November um, and be able to start a- action toward impeachment, it would still require a trial that, in fact, the Republicans could block a conviction, just as Clinton was in fact saved by the Democrats um, in the U.S. Senate during that particular trial. So again, one shouldn't assume, however corrupt these uh, these events seem to be, and whatever evidence that's being provided by uh, by Mueller, Mueller cannot force his removal. All Mueller can do is bring evidence and attention to the way the the Trump campaign is operated, and it will then be up to first the House of Representatives, but ultimately the Senate. Two thirds of the Senate is going to have to vote for his removal. And the Democrats are by no means going to have two-thirds of the Senate. They may not even have 50% of the Senate at that particular time. So there's lots of, there's lots of shoes to drop. I'm not sure how, to what extent that uh, Trump is going to be implicated. People around him are implicated because they're sleazy. And frankly, I think Trump's sleazy himself. But, the, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not going to be there for the, the next three years in, 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 uh, in office. That being said, it appears that this will only intensify. At what point does it become, uh, what the, at what point does it interfere with the day-to-day operations of the office? Oh, that's already happening. Uh, clearly, Trump is distracted by this. Um, he, again, how effective a president he would have been had there been no scandal of this sort, I'm not at all sure. Because he is somebody, frankly, who's quite lazy. He does not read reports. He doesn't even listen to the advisors around him. He watches Fox television to get his political information. Um, and that, in fact, he picks fights, frequently fights that have nothing to do with governance, the, the silliness with regard to the, the football players kneeling during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Um, what he's doing is sort of throwing out issues that his base, and his base, remember, is probably not much more than a third of the American public of that, the polls showing, that he's basically keeping his base enthused with this anti-establishment set of uh, assumptions and his complaints about 
all sorts of people and picking fights with, with people left and right all over the place. Is this the alternative, Barry, that America was looking for? At what point did they go, we're not great yet? Yeah, well, at some point, I think it is going to start to sink in. And indeed, the impact, I think, will be first evident in the... No, for, for, let, let me say there's actually a gubernatorial election in Virginia that's close. That, in fact, if the Republicans lose that race, that will be one indication. But the real indication will probably not, not be till next, next uh, November, November of, of 2018. Look, in the meantime, he has, as president, the ability to gum up all sorts of things. I just wrote a piece in the local paper here about the impact on, on, on NAFTA. It looks like the NAFTA agreement that with Canada and the U.S. and Mexico, that that's probably faded, that that's probably going to be undone out of his whim, not that people around him are recommending it. He's certainly having trouble getting significant legislation passed with regard to health care. The next issue is going to be tax cuts. Um, it's already having an impact on the way he runs his presidency, but that, that's something else. I'm not sure he was ever capable or competent to run the presidency in a responsible manner in any case. But is it a distraction? Absolutely it's a distraction. And it clearly, the silver lining for me is that, in fact, um, what it's going to do, he is more than anything coming to define the Republican Party. And that uh, after he's gone, the Republican Party is going to have to wear the chaos that's surrounding the, the current Trump administration. What will you, you said yourself you weren't sure that this would ever lead to an impeachment or anything of that nature uh, where will this investigation end will this just in, will this just end with a lot of embarrassment no it, well there will be people indicted the, the the number of people affected is only starting um, but the and, and look Trump for all we know may very well decide to start uh, providing pardons for all the people around him he certainly hinted at that in the past he did that with that sheriff of Arpaio in um, in in Arizona. Uh, he may that may be a way to get people to cooperate, but that's going to only, in all likelihood, increase the hostility and the disenchantment that many Americans have with him. But uh, within his base, when I say he couldn't be impeached, I think he could be impeached. But impeachment is just the equivalent of indictment. The way it would work, if in fact there were serious charges, I'm not certain they will happen. It's just that he acts so guilty. I have a hunch that in fact he thinks there's evidence out there that 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 could uh, could, could convict him. But the way the impeachment process works is that. The um, Mueller would, in fact, make a presentation that would go to Congress. They would have evidence, and they would then decide whether or not charges were to be made. As long as he's popular with Republicans and Republicans are in control of the House of Representatives, that's not, not likely to occur. But come next November, if, in fact, about 24 seats out of the 435 in the chamber flip from the Republicans to the Democrats, and the Democrats take control of the chamber, uh, in that case, impeachment is very possible, perhaps mm. even likely. That would then lead to a subsequent trial in the Senate. But to remove him from office, it would require not a majority, but in fact two-thirds of the Senate. And again, that's if we remember with the Clinton impeachment trial back in, um, in 98, I guess it was, 99 really, uh, that in fact um, there was a trial. and Everyone knew it wasn't going to go anywhere because the Democrats were never going to remove from office a popular Democrat. As long as Trump is popular with the Republican voting base, there will be enough Republicans in the Senate to block a conviction. And if there's no conviction, even if there's a trial, Trump will stay in office. He will be harmed. He won't get much through Congress. But frankly, that's already happening. He's not getting much through Congress even now. Not so much because he's unpopular with his base, because he isn't, but because of the fact he's just outright incompetent in terms of not knowing how to get things done. He's lazy. He does not look at, at details. He does not familiarize himself with policy. And he, he, frankly, doesn't even listen to his advisors most of the time, including his lawyers. Uh, DNC now uh, dragged into this conversation. How is he positioning that? What is their involvement in all of this? Why is their name being brought up? The Democratic National Committee? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in fact, he's throwing out all sorts of charges about the... There may be something to some of them. I don't. Again, I'm not familiar enough with it. There's supposed to be some uranium deal that Hillary Clinton's name is involved with. I'm not sure there's anything to it at all. I have not seen the case put together in any meaningful way. But he, he just consistently makes charges and accusations about anybody and, and everything. I mean, going back to the, his, his beginnings with regard to um, um, the birther comments about, uh, about uh, Obama or suggesting that Obama had illegally taped his, um, his office in, in the, um, the Trump Towers. He makes all sorts of charges all the time. Many of them, in fact, frankly, the vast majority of them hold no water at all. Um, he, he's a, you know, a compulsive liar. I don't know that he even understands the degree to which his prevarications are, are false. He convinces himself that he's got this, this, this delusional sense around him that if he thinks something, the, the, wish, the thought will become the, the, the wish and the fact. Um, I, this is not the way to run, run government, certainly not the most important, powerful government of the world, but this is the way Trump has been able to succeed in New York real estate, and he thought 
he's certainly a great campaigner, a great huckster, a great in the, the spirit of P.T. Barnum. Uh, but it's not the way government is working, and frankly, government is is breaking down because of the dysfunction within Washington. It wasn't. It wasn't particularly efficient before Trump came. It's only gotten worse since. And that's what he sold his. his that's what that was a selling feature of his campaign. That's what he sold himself on the was slogan, "Make America Great Again." Exactly. Gonna, we're going to win so much or get tired of winning. Well, Drain the swamp and all that sort of stuff. It's like we seem to be mired more in swamp now than than ever. Absolutely. And in fact, he surrounded himself with people that are gaming the system. And this three three hundred million dollar contract by the um, the Secretary of Interior's friend in Whitefish, Montana, that that's now being reversed. Um, the, the, the plane trips, it's just full, he's full of people that are uh, surrounding himself with people that are clearly filling the swamp, not draining it. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Here we go again, the, uh, the situation regarding kneeling at, uh, during the national anthem, of course, in protest to social injustice, uh, specifically in and around law enforcement in the United States, of course, has uh, taken over the NFL uh, to the point where, of course, uh, back in September, uh, Trump uh, commented on this controversy, saying that they should fire the people that are uh, kneeling for the national anthem, trying to get the owners involved and trying to, of course, uh, meet and come up with some sort of solution to all of this. The NFL, of course, hoping that this whole problem just goes away. And now, of course, uh, it seems like it's uh, it's been thrust back into the spotlight uh, when uh, a recent owner said uh, in meetings, we can't let the inmates run the prison. To talk more about all of this, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, of course, and uh, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. He's with us now. Scott, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. No problem, Scott. Glad to do it. So tell us your thoughts on all of this. First of all, run through it all. Tell us the scenario. Tell everybody what happened. Give everybody a quick update. Well, I mean, I think you did. The The owner of the Houston Texans uh, was chatting about this ongoing issue and meetings about, um, look, there is a website now or a Twitter account. I'm not sure which. Um, and every week it shows photos of NFL stadiums. And for whatever reason, whether it's this, whether it's the kneeling, whether it's people worried about concussions, whether they're finding other things to do. There are a lot of photos suddenly of football stadiums with a lot of empty seats. And that's new. The NFL has been a juggernaut. It has been the Teflon league that ratings keep going up, ticket sales keep going up, nothing could ever harm the NFL. And suddenly, this is a league, ratings are down, attendance in a lot of places is down, and there are concerns. And whether, again, whether this is the cause uh, or the result of these social protests and people saying, you know, why am I paying money to people who are dissatisfied or upset with their own country, blah, blah, blah. Point is, there's a lot of concern among NFL owners about what's going on with their league and whether this is a blip or whether this is the beginning of a real problem for them. The owner of the Texas, the Houston Texans, makes this comment that we can't let the inmates run the prison, and that led to this latest protest. So, you know, it's a, um, it is, I understand on the one hand, for sure, the players being upset. Uh, it was a real, I think, real poor choice of words, especially because there have been a lot of people a lot of comments over the years that say the NFL is the National Felon League and that there's a, all this stuff. So when you sort of throw every player under the bus and essentially call every player a prisoner, I, an inmate, I can certainly understand how many of them would blanch at that for sure. I don't think that uh, takes too much work to wrap your head around. The flip side is, Letting the inmates run the prison or letting the inmates run the asylum is not a, a, a new phrase that he just made up. It's a, hmm. you know, it's a word. It's a phrase that's commonly used for all kinds of situations. I'm, why? You know, why does this? Why does this phrase stand out now? Why is it? Why is it? Well, why is this that, a lightning rod now? Because you've got already you've got the players taking a knee. The NFL players, many who are African American, lots of discussion in recent years about the number of African-Americans, the percentage who are in prisons. It's a, it was, under the circumstances, it was a poorly chosen phrase to use, 100%. Whether he intended it with a racial context or not, 
Um, and we don't know. I mean, as I say, it's a commonly used phrase, so I'm not going to leap to the conclusion that he was using it in a racial context. We don't know. But regardless, uh, poorly chosen and, and under the circumstances, just rekindled the fire of the social protests and the kneeling and everything else. Uh, there was a meeting a couple of weeks ago that was, you know, supposed to lead to, 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 to rectifying all of this. What happens now? How does the NFL react to this? Well, here's the, before I answer that question, and I will, here's the tricky part about what's going on now, is that when Colin Kaepernick began taking a knee during the national anthem, you remember why he said he was doing this. Right, and you alluded to it in your intro that this was about social injustice, yeah, social injustice and police and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And you can, I think, even people who disagree with what he was doing, and there were many, but you can look at that and say, "All right, a guy is taking a stand, so the flag or the anthem represents the country, and the country." We're talking about the racism in the country. So you can, you, can, you can draw the line from A to B and at least understand and say, okay, I disagree with him, but I understand how kneeling for the anthem is about that issue. The problem is, when Donald Trump came out and made his comments, and, all the guys, and so many more decided to take a knee, it was no longer protesting racism for many of them it was no longer about protesting social justice now you're protesting donald trump who is not he's the president i understand but he's not really the president isn't the united states he isn't the anthem but now so that made it a little more complicated and a little more sketchy as far as where the line was well now it's just an owner of a team making a comment and you're protesting the anthem about the comments of an owner so what's happened here is the the protest, which started in one place, has now moved to a different place, and I think it becomes more difficult to draw the line. Saying, "I'm now protesting," they were they. I don't think most of those guys were protesting necessarily social injustice. They were they were mad at the owner, and so it's become a the, these kneeling protests have become a bit of a moving target. They are now a protest of whatever you're upset about. And now it becomes, I think, more difficult for some people to say, well, why then are you kneeling for the anthem? Because that's representative of the country. Hmm. And so where does it go from here? You know, Scott, look, that's that's a terrific question. You got a good answer? Because I don't have a great answer. How How much influence does Trump have in what he says? You know, I mean, telling the fire the sons of bitch. I mean, that's that's the phrase that he used. I mean, how much influence does he have on the NFL? I mean, clearly he's divided the NFL as much as he has the country. There are um, if you go back and look, even though we you know, we talk about the um, the fact that the country is divided and there are, you know, all these things going on. Go back and look at the electoral map. You can find it online. The one where they put the, not by state, but the ones where each voting district in the states is individually drawn. And you can find these online. And then look at the map of the United States. And the almost the entire country, Scott, is red. The blue parts, which are the not Donald Trump parts, are the East Coast and the West Coast and the major metropolises. Well, the reason I mention all that is when you say how much influence does Donald Trump have, Hmm. outside of the major cities, based on voting anyway in the last election, the entire middle of the United States, other than, say, Chicago and Detroit and, you know, again, the big, big cities, voted red. They voted for him, and they are going to listen. And if they believe that what they stand for and what they believe, and when I say they... I'm not trying to be exclusionary. There's a lot of people who disagree with kneeling for the anthem, and with these comments that he made, he reflects their view. And if they're and if these people who now who are the red districts, the red states in the United States, if they're looking, saying, you know, these NFL players who make a vast amount of money, more than most of the voters will ever make in their entire life, hmm. uh, if they are not enthusiastic about the country, if they think they live in a horrible country, if they're not going to respect 
the forget the police if they're not going to respect the the military the people who fought for this country then you know what i agree with donald trump i'm not going to support them they i'm just going to i'm just going to isolate that free luke i want you to isolate the uh, clip of scott radley saying i agree with donald trump I Does said it, that? Yeah, you said that. You just said I agree yeah. with that. I'm getting Luke right now to isolate well, that, and I'm just I'm gonna Trump. I'm gonna beat you like a dead horse with that thing. I'm just gonna keep whatever I say. Doesn't matter what the topic is. I'm I'm gonna say Scott Rowdy believes in Donald Trump, and there you go. Well, I said they believe in Donald Trump, but anyway, um, the fact is is that if we can you, edit that out. I, <laughs> if there are there are a lot of people who clearly have taken the position that they are not going to, it seems anyway, based on the numbers, based on ratings and ticket sales, that they've decided if these guys, if the players in the NFL are, whether they're black or white or any other color, are not going to be respectful of the country and the military and the other people, then I can find something else to do on a Sunday. And that seems to, to some degree, be what's happening. Now, again, the one thing we don't know is whether this is the thing that is really driving the numbers. We don't know. Well, again, there was issues prior to all of this. Was there, there were. Not? Yeah, there I mean, were. there were. And we've got the concussion issue now. I mean, look, I, when I watch an NFL game now, and I bet there's a lot of other people like this, and a guy takes a massive shot, once upon a time, you would be like jumping off your couch going, oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Now that we know about yeah. head injuries and CTE, you look and you go, ooh. There's one. And so, and, and so, that has made football and the NFL a little harder to watch, for sure. There's a bunch of reasons. I'm not isolating this particular one as the only thing, but I do think we're crazy if we think that this is not a significant contributing factor. Other than, and we've talked about this before when this first uh, came out, I mean, other than, of course, uh, running programs and promoting uh, uh you know, what the players are asking for, what really can the NFL do here? I mean, at the end of the day... As far as the anthem thing and the kneeling? Yeah, I mean, if they're being used for political protest, I mean, what do you do? Because no matter what they do, it's going to be a no-win for them. So why why don't they just play football and let the owners and the politicians and and whatever do their thing and protest? Well, there's two options, Scott, and and I think... uh, uh, eventually, if this thing continues, and if the crowds do dwindle, and if it is started to be believed that this is the cause, uh, you're either going to have the anthem sung before the players take to the field, which removes that uh, protest possibility. And why even televise any of that? Uh, what, the anthem? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's the way they're getting around it is a lot of the time they're not televising it. I mean, is, right. is there been a conscious effort not to televise it? Is, is that going on as no, well? No, to the contrary. To the contrary. You would think if it there's was a belief you... that there's going to be a protest, we've yeah. got to televise that. We've got to see what's going on. So yeah. the possibility is you either keep the players off the field during the anthem and they run on the field and play, or you drop the anthem altogether except for things like the Super Bowl or something when it's a, when it's a huge event. Or I mean, the anthem started as a, as a time of war kind of, thing for our military for their military so you know do you honestly think though scott and there's been lots of chatter about whether we should play anthems or not or you know uh, i remember one time when they used to play it before play the national anthem before a movie it didn't last for very long, yeah, though. Yeah, um, uh, that was in, that was when you were a kid. That was way before me. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I just told you about that, didn't I? You never really witnessed it. Um, you know, if you get rid of that, is there's just going to be another method of protest? I mean, do you really think well, that maybe. let's let's get rid of the let's get rid of the national anthem and this will all go away? Like, are we really naive to think that? Well, no, I don't. I, yeah, well, yes. I, here's why. Yes, NFL, we are. We are that naive. No, we are. And, but there's a reason. No, there's a reason why that would not necessarily happen. And I'll tell you why. Again, you're an old man, so you'll remember this. But Thank back you. in 1985, I think it was, was 85 the year of the Chicago Bears with uh, the refrigerator Perry and, and those guys. And Jim McMahon, the quarterback at the time, used to wear headbands because he was in a squabble with the commissioner. And he used to wear headbands and said, like, Roselle, because his name was Pete Roselle and stuff. They banned that. They banned the NFL. You can't wear certain cleats Mm -hmm. that have a message on it. You can't celebrate the way you want in the end zone. You can't wear headbands you want. Your socks have to be pulled up to a certain height. They have restricted the behavior of every other facet. All right, let me say this. So if you want to. Let me say this. 30 seconds. 
before they blow the whistle to start the game. Everybody's on the field. Everybody's yep. taking their position, whether it's kickoff or return. Yep. And all of a sudden, for five seconds, they all take a kneel. I'll take a knee. I mean, honestly, Scott, I really don't think dragging the national anthem out of this is going to help. They'll just figure out another way to kneel. And my point is the NFL, you're, you're correct, but the NFL has essentially, in every other facet of the game, mm-hmm. squashed individuality and protest and other comments out of the sport. So and is, for people it, who say this is a freedom of expression thing, my answer always is, but it's also freedom of expression when you score a touchdown to do whatever kind of celebratory dance you want, and the NFL says, no, that freedom of expression is not yours to have. And so if they were to cancel the anthem or if they were to have the anthem before the players came on the field, they then, I'm, I'm positive what would happen, is the NFL would put a rule in place that says the moment a player sets foot on the field or out of the tunnel, even on the sidelines, he is not permitted political statement. And then if a player wants to do it, they will be able to, but they will also be facing growing fines because the NFL will start to find them. That's what will happen with this. That's how can you find can you find this problem away? I would bet you could. Because the guy does it well, they do it the first time, and it's a hundred grand, and they don't care about a hundred grand. A lot of these guys are fifty grand, but you know what? You kneel down for you to be caught Kaepernick, and you kneel down for the fifth or sixth time, and your fine is now half a million bucks or a million bucks. Look, they, I don't know whether they can find it away. All I can tell you is all the other areas of individual expression that players have tried to do, they have find them away. So, would this one follow the same pattern? I don't know, but it's worked in the past. Do you think the kneeing is filling the seats or emptying the seats? No, I th- well kneeling. Again, I shouldn't say I kneeing. Kneeing would <laughs> empty the seats. <laughs> well, I'm not. Where you you know what? I'm not going there. Not only do I not like the product on the field, it just hurts too much. Yeah, that's right. I, I it's impossible to say, but it does seem. Because I'm guessing that's just as divisive. There would be as it'd be like fifty-fifty. There'd be just as many supporting as there would be ticked off. I'm guessing it's like everything. He's oh, divided, yeah. it's, it's divided everything. When you and I have been chatting about this, and we talk about the owners not liking it, there are of course people in society who are very much behind this. And so, yes, it, it does become a divisive thing. And so, again, what is the easiest way to stop to stop? A divisive issue. So you, you don't remove you, it. You don't choose a side. Yeah, you remove it. You remove it. Yeah. Um, so you don't agree with them kneeing, kneeling. You, you don't agree with them kneeling during the anthem. No, I, I really am against the kneeing thing. You're really onto that today. <laughs> that, that's a horrible thing. Um, it was a rough kneeling, weekend. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan of the kneeling. Um, but uh, look, I'm you, not a fan. You, I'm not a fan that it has to happen. No, I, look, I'm not. I'm not a fan of the. The issues that are behind it, I just am not sure that it solves anything. I'm, sh- I, I'm, it maybe it's created discussion. We'll give it that. We'll absolutely say that it has created discussion about a topic that uh, so that isn't has that required discussion? Isn't that a good thing if it's created discussion? It can be, for sure, it can be, and I think there are positives that have come out of this thing. Uh, but ultimately, here, here's the thing for the NFL to consider, not as a social thing. The NFL ultimately is not a social change organization. There, are so, there is social change that can come out of it. But I'm thinking from the perspective of the owners and the players and the folks who run the NFL, this is a business whose purpose it is, whose function it is, to make money. It is a business. And so if the NFL decides that their prime concern now is to be a, an agent for social change, that's, that is laudable. But if their belief still is that they are about making money and the players want to make money and the owners want to make money, I really do believe they're going to have to come up with some sort of resolution to this because if these social, the the kneeling and all these other things, if they are contributing in a significant way to the decline in ratings and the decline in attendance, if, then, you know, it's going to come down the road that what's going to happen is these guys who are kneeling and the owners who are speaking out are both going to start seeing it affect their bottom line. And that I've heard so far, nobody in the NFL is really excited about losing money. Uh, 
I'm not sure you can do anything about this. I, I'm really not. And, and Again, just take and, it and, out. And That's by the that, only thing you can try. But again, I, I think taking it out will get rid of the kneeling on the field. But again, I, I think you're only going to anger the players even more. So again, Quite possibly. And, and somewhere that pressure's got to blow. Like somewhere, something's got to give. You could expect, you're right, you could expect in the dressing rooms after for comments to be made. You can expect it would show up elsewhere. There's no question about that. But again, for the NFL's perspective as a business, when they look at this thing and they, if they believe that this is affecting their bottom line, the only thing they could do is take it off the field of play, I think, and go from there. And then if the players want to have kneel-downs outside the stadium beforehand or if they want to speak in the dressing rooms or whatever else, I, I honestly don't know how you get rid of that. And if that, may, if that continues to be a problem, then I, I would have no idea what you would do. Scott Radley has been with us, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can listen to him tonight and, of course, read him in the Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. Have a great one. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Kevin Spacey has come out as a gay man. No way! Are you kidding me? Kevin Spacey's gay? Since when? Well, since someone has come out and accused him of the same sort of thing that Harvey Weinstein's being accused of. Uh, Apparently, Kevin Spacey has had to apologize to someone named Anthony Rapp, a fellow actor who accused Spacey of making sexual advances on him when he was only 14, Spacey 26 at the time. Spacey came out in his his apology saying uh, something to the effect that he he was probably drunk. And, quote, I now choose to live as a gay man. Alyssa Freeman is with us now. Hi, Alyssa. How are you today? Oh, my. (laughs) What a tangled web we weave. Did you know Kevin Spacey was gay? Sure. I had no idea. Oh, my goodness, Scott. Family guy? I mean, come on. Uh, There's been lots of references to this. Um, How does this change the discussion in regard to sexual harassment and assault in Hollywood? Well, the change is the discussion that there are people all over Hollywood quaking in their boots. Scott, I mean, listen, you know, they know who they are. Hopefully, uh, they've not that I have any empathy for them. But they've um, they've started looking for counsel and are working with legal and also their uh, agents. And uh, I would imagine that most of them actually have statements at the ready because there's no denying, there's no fighting back, and there's no sympathy. So you notice how fast Kevin Spacey came out with a statement. And in order to maybe change the narrative or put a different tone on the news cycle, he came out as being gay, officially gay. It's been rumored and, uh, you know, for many, many years, decades even, about Kevin Spacey that he wasn't straight. And, and, you know, what big deal? But now that this has come out about this behavior and maybe even the behavior uh, throughout all these decades, this could be a career ender. Do we have empathy for Kevin Spacey? No, we do not. <laughs> mm. Because, again, um, you know, as you mentioned, he sort of, tried, almost like a deflection, tried to change the discussion by saying, oh, by the way, I'm gay. Like, that somehow complicates this. How does being gay change the narrative here? How does it change things? Because the way I see it, it doesn't matter what gender you are or who you're attacking. You're still attacking someone. Well, here's the thing. Being you know, gay isn't an excuse. It's an intimation, actually, of, um, of consensuality. He was, he's a guy. I'm a guy. We had a great time. So perhaps it's um, a way to, A, change the narrative, B, to intimate uh, consensuality. But really, you know, when I look at these statements, it's almost like there's always this but uh, statement in all of these things. So... Harvey Weinstein, you know, he gave all this money, people were sending the money back, and he says, but I can't be such a bad guy if I'm going to give all this money that people are returning to groups that are fighting the NRA. Okay, is that supposed to make me feel any better about what you did to all these women over all these years? And that here we have Kevin Spacey, 
who was charged by this, or, uh, you know, allegedly charged by this one person over an act of what may have even been at the time pedophilia. And he's saying, well, but you know what? I'm gay. And, well, you know, what does that have to do with anything? Is it the stress of being gay? I didn't know where I was. I don't know what I'm doing. It's great that uh, people who are gay are now coming out of the closet and living their life and in, 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 in without this burden on them. But is he, is he trying to somehow tie that challenge of coming out as some sort of justification for his poor choice with this person? Well, the other thing, too, is that he also blames being drunk. Yeah. Now, you know, well, whether, you know you what? Know, well, it, it yeah. Also, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's no new argument, no, is it? No. But you know what? Where there's smoke, there's fire. And if there's one, there's many others. And I was just watching um, the Today Show this morning, and there was this uh, young woman who's a producer, a news producer, typically behind the scenes, and had an interview with a very top ABC executive. And he said, well, come to my office and we'll talk. Well, listen, I have gone to many executives at male executives' offices and, you know, gone to talk. So this is not an untoward uh, invitation as in come to my hotel room. So he, she, comes to the ho- she comes to the office and they're talking about her career and he leans in to try and kiss her. And when she rebuffs, he comes on stronger. So she basically had to run out, run out, of, the, uh, run out of the room. And she says, and who was I going to tell? Who was I going to tell this was the top guy in news for political correspondence? Who was I going to tell without ruining my reputation? So, you know, this is just one example. There are many, many, many other examples, and there is nobody who is going to come out unscathed. This particular fellow, I have to get his name, and I will come up with that for you, but this particular fellow actually just got uh, fired from his recent gig where he is right now. So nobody wants to be aligned with these people. Nobody wants to be aligned because they don't want to be seen as empathizing with these people. And you are kind of like left out into the cold all on your own. So I think that what we have to see is, you know, what is is there any sense of forgiveness in Hollywood after a certain cooling off period? I don't think with Harvey Weinstein and who knows with Kevin Spacey. But when you commit these acts, they are so heinous. And they are so against one's morality, it would be a very deep hole to dig out of. But then again, you know, we've had U.S. presidents that have been impeached. And yet, you know, people speak now still glowing, glowingly about, you know, and Nixon. And look what happened to him way back when. So the, the propensity for forgiveness right now seems really, really low. But... You know what? You never know with the human psyche. Uh, can Kevin Spacey separate himself from the other discu- discussion, which is that of Harvey uh, Weinstein's? No, he's going to be lumped all in. Yeah. So now when you mention Weinstein, they will now mention Spacey. Right. And there's other, um, there's other producers, such as this one, uh, James Tomac, where it has been well known. And you know what? The worst part is, Scott, that these people were running acting classes. So, you know, you get people signing up for your acting classes, and if they sort of fit the bill mm. of what these producers and or actors were looking for, these acting classes were sort of a ruse yeah. to get in young kids, many underage, as a, as a way of gathering them for their own sort of sexual deviance. Yeah. You hear a lot of this in the modeling industry, too. Well, it's, you do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's... And, and, and the, the sad yeah. part is, in the end, it's the victim that's paying. Well, it not only not only with their with their being, but also monetarily for this stuff. And some of these, you know, people who have not yet been charged, but people have been whispering about in sort of open secrets for years and years, they have made millions and millions of dollars. Their names are all over buildings. Their names are associated with large philanthropic gifts. You know, this is going to bring a house of cards all tumbling down. Whereas people felt that, you know what? These people were way too powerful to fail. You know, when an industry seems that, you know, they're, in, they're going in trouble, and, but they seem be, too big to fail, this is the same sort of analogy. Yeah. How, do we, how do we compare Kevin Spacey to Harvey Weinstein, then, in the sense that one's controlling, one is, um, you know, obviously in a, in a place, a position of power, the other one's an actor, well, I think it's the act that that is uh, basically the, that's different. And with this, you know, we're talking about young boys and maybe not even a, not even of age. 
And once somebody sees uh, someone else who has spoken out, then it kind of opens the door for everybody else, which is what you saw with Harvey Weinstein and also with his other producer, James Tomac. So, you know, once the door is open, you cannot stop the floodgates. And all you can do is try and circumvent uh, the news cycle the best way you can. And in Kevin Spacey's case, it was this admission of his sexuality, which honestly has to be the greatest Hail Mary uh, strategy I have ever seen. How is that going to play in the gay community? I mean, how is that going to play with everybody? I can't really speak for how it'll play in the gay community. but I think Because, that, again, he almost seems to be using this. Uh, it just seems to be a, a, a choice of opportunity. He's, he's, he's saying this now to somehow justify what he has done. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that, I mean, I don't know. But, you know, just because of one's sexuality doesn't give you permission to um, go after uh, underage people. I mean, it just, it just doesn't. And a lot of stories will now start to come to the surface. You know, there are certain um, sort of like pop culture gossip sites that have been talking about this for ages. And a lot of them have blind items. And now they're all coming out with their, you know, formerly blind items, which were all about Kevin Spacey. So, uh, Alyssa, what happens when uh, there's more investigation into all of this and, and, and more heads continue to roll? And we all realize that Hollywood is just rotten right to the core. Then what? You know, people still want their entertainment, and I think that they'll stomach as to who is, bad, who is bad and who is not as bad. So, uh, you know, will people stop? Well, well, basically, you know, they'll look at Kevin Spacey right now as box office poison. You know, there's a, there's a credibility factor here. So, What about Netflix? You know, and I was wondering about that. House of Cards has not done, and talk about a House of Cards. Yeah. You know, I wonder how much has been shot. But, you know, no one knows whether they will actually renew his contract there. And I'm sure that there are meetings happening in every studio right now, in every production house. they saying, okay, well, where do we go from here? And what happens when they do, but they crucify the Harvey Weinstein, Weinsteins of the world? Can, well, can, it's, you, it's can you do both? Critical. Yeah. It's what you can hold your nose at, basically. But, you know, everybody looks at Hollywood and, and sees it as a as a very big sort of creepy and ick factor. Does that mean they're going to stop watching TV? Does that mean they're going to stop watching, you know, going to the movies or watching Netflix shows? No. But they maybe have a little bit more uh, informed choice about where they will spend their dollars. And there is no studio right now that's going to align themselves with Kevin Spacey. Like any project that had been greenlit that had his name attached to it is now done. Absolutely done. Uh, you know, you look at the politics of the day. You look at what's happening here. You know, my 10-year-old said, is the world going to hell in a handbasket, Dad? I don't well, remember. Pretty s- much correct. <laughs> I don't remember saying that when I was a 10-year-old. No, and that's, and I have to say that, you know, that is so sad. It is so sad. There are so many things going on right now. You know, even you know, my daughter, who's 17, and we're right now visiting university campuses, and she's very aware of what's going on and what's being said. And, and it's... I, I don't remember being 17 and thinking like this. That's yeah. all I can say. Or having to. Or having to. So, all right, I got to, uh, I got to ask you uh, about Bill, C- uh, Bill 62, which is the face covering uh, law in Quebec, which is so highly controversial. It was announced a couple of weeks ago that they were going to uh, introduce this. Uh, then clarification came, and, and nobody knows if this is going to pass legal muster or what. Uh, that being said, just before the weekend, Ipsos releases a poll that says that 68% of Canadians uh, across provincial lines, regions, what have you, would support the same sort of legislation in their province. It, it was amazing when this first came out, everybody was like, oh, how un-Canadian of Quebec, my goodness. And now it appears that the rest of Canada feels a lot the same along the same lines as Quebec does. Do you think they're as surprised about that information as they are about Quebec doing this? Boy, oh boy, you know, 68% is a big number. And I think nobody wants to be seen as being the one group or the one person or the one political party that says, you know, this would never happen in my province, in my community. And I was pretty surprised it was pretty consistent right yeah. the way across the Yet country. Yeah, when you, you know, you do a survey, it's anonymous. Nobody's telling you, saying who yeah. you are. Or what so are we hiding behind Quebec? Yeah. So it, 
you know, it's interesting, this whole, this whole Quebec situation with the niqab, uh, you know, half of it, I think, is that they don't care whether it passes or not. I think they want, they are... Yeah, they're um, just getting it out of their hair and putting it through the courts and letting, it, letting them decide, and it's not their problem anymore. Well, there's that, but I think that there's uh, a sentiment, an overwhelming sentiment in Quebec that they don't like the face coverings. And, you know, whether or not this passes into law, which I doubt that it will, what they're doing is that they're taking a position. They're taking a stand. So when it comes time for election, that that people will know exactly where the government stands on this. And it could be trying to curry favor with the electorate in early days. You know, I don't know. So whether it passes or not, I don't think it is going to upset anybody who put, tried to put forth this law. But just the, the fact that they took action on a sentiment that seems to run deep, not just in Quebec, but in other provinces, is a very interesting gambit. How about, let me spin that, how about now the government knows exactly where Canadians stand on this? Do you think the well, government you know, is? Do you think have. the government the government well, was shocked that you, you know you know Prime Minister Trudeau was not happy with Couillard when this all went down, especially under the Liberal colors? Uh, what do you think the Prime Minister thinks of this poll and how the majority of Canadians seem to feel? I think that that the Prime Minister and his party, you know, and and the people who uh, you know suggest the narratives that he is going to take a stand on have to really sit back and rethink what's going on here. You know, when Trudeau was first elected, it was all sunny days, and it was also, we are Canada, we are opening our arms, and we're letting you in. So then people came, and they expected to be let in. And then they started coming through, you know, unprotected parts of the borders. They were camping out in people's farms until people had to start setting up more or less these tent cities in order to vet people coming through across the border. And Canadians sort of looked at this and they thought, okay, well, we have a process. And the process isn't just opening up your arms and come on in. The process is go through the process. Mm. And it's not going to be any different than whether you trudge through the snow and then we have to take care of you or we, want, we will take care of you. It's that go through the process. So this whole notion where everybody was falling all over themselves, the Trudeau was like, open up your arms, come on in. People are like, well, it sounded good. Just don't do it. Hmm. Just don't do it. We don't want to open our arms to everybody. Maybe some people, but not everybody. And if you're going to jump the line, especially not you. So this is going to now be roiled around in the war rooms of the Liberal Party, saying, thinking that, okay, how do we tackle this? Hmm. Do we still toe the line on open, you know, we've opened our arms, come on in? Or do we have to dial back on it? Or do we not promote it as much as we thought we did because Canadians really don't like it. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, public relations consultant. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Okay, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.